Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. Well, give the Lord a clap offering. Thank you, Lord. And our Father, we're so grateful this evening as we gather for our Wednesday midweek service. We're so grateful for your kindness, your goodness, your mercy, and all that you have done. We come to honor you and to bless you. What a great, mighty God you are, our Father. And we come, O God, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Master, our King, to give you glory and praise and majesty. We're beyond words, Lord, for the wonders of your miracles. And we come, O God, to say thank you for touching each one of us individually and collectively as a church. We have so much to give thanks to you for, and we forever remain indebted to your goodness, for your kindness, and for your miracles in our life. Thank you, Father, even as we come to you, I pray that you touch lives today, bless people, stir, O God, our spirits, and fan to flame this revival that is sweeping from one part of this nation to another. Come, Holy Spirit, visit with us. Fall upon us afresh, we pray, and use us for your glory. Bless and heal precious ones today, and touch lives, we ask, and those precious ones that are watching as well. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen and Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord. And we're here because of some renovation taking place in the chapel, but we're so glad even in the midst of a very cold evening, we can gather and praise and worship the Lord. When you turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 6 and verse 15, so the wall was completed in 52 days. So let's read it the way it says. So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month of Elul, in the 50 and 2 days. So in 52 days, the wall was completed. You know, the story of Nehemiah begins in chapter 1 when he hears of the tragedy that takes place in his hometown in Jerusalem. He's in Babylon, and he's a cupbearer. He's actually a layman, unlike Ezra and Zerubbabel. But Ezra was what would be the priest, and Zerubbabel, the governor, and this man was a cupbearer. But his heart was broken. He cried out to the Lord. You can read that in chapter 1. By the end of the chapter, you're going to find him uh, making his way to Jerusalem. And what you find is a stupendous feat, especially considering the time in which he lived. There was no modern equipment. There's no technological wonders of these days. And when you look at these stones that takes to build the massive parameter of, the, of Jerusalem, which is unlike what Zerubbabel did, Zerubbabel did with the temple, this is, uh, uh, this is far more gigantic. And Zerubbabel spent about 15 to 10, 20 years to build this magnificent temple, the rebuilding of the temple. But the task to build a greater wall, the parameter of what would be Jerusalem, was gigantic. Not simply with little stones that in chapter 4 and verse 3, Tobias 
began to criticize and make fun and say even a fox will jump. No, 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 it was not at all. These folks thought that it is going to be something like a, a little stick and a mud and, and the whole thing will fall down. No, it was massive. It was a huge construction. When you think of the uh, people that brought in laborers, they were ordinary people. They were just members of the community that he organized. And they were not skilled people, but they were bankers, they were priests, they were merchants, they were all sorts of people that God used. And, and after the message that Nehemiah spoke to them, he mobilized them to do something amazing. When you look at the stones, some of them which have been found, uh, the archaeologists have found some of those stones, they're gigantic. When you look at it, it's something like 14 feet uh, long uh, width and as much as 10 to 14 feet of 10, 18 feet high, uh, I would, 10 to 12 feet high. And it's so broad that you could have a man walk in, and in fact, you have sentry, you have people guarding the place. So it's not a small feat. But what is so wonderful is in 52 days, which is impossible. So this has to have a cohesion of people, uh, group of people coming together in the matter of all that took place, including when Tobiah and Sunbalat and all the others come in to attack, within 52 days, that is but a miracle. I want us to understand something very incredible, is God who started a good work will complete what he has done. Now I want you to realize too that in all of our lives it doesn't matter how short or how long, never give up on what God has started. Way back in 1982, my predecessor, Pastor James Wright, set this vision for a beautiful edifice. And so he asked permission for the road and things like that. So embarked what would be a full journey into what would be the building, and then uh, much after he went to be the Lord, I extended it to this new place, but it was a massive, gigantic campus when you look around it. The only problem was we had made so many changes and we really never got the certificate of occupation. It's so difficult. Every uh, I must be dotted and T must be crossed, every minute details have to be done. And it's virtually impossible in a great city like this for many new churches to get that because it's a lot of things to be done. But for the grace of God and God's divine grace and sending angels and so marvelous things, it's just, just to say, for us it took 40 years. That is an amazing thing when you look at this massive enterprise, massive huge campus with even uh, three different uh, chapels. It's an amazing uh, feat of God doing this. Let me just say 40 years is something amazing. When you look at uh, 40, the number 40 is several times in the Bible. And you can read it again and again of the many aspects of that number 40. 40 speaks to us of trial, speaks to us of testing, and also speaks to us of triumph. Trial, testing, and triumph. That has been our story, really. It has been a long trial. It's been a long time of test, but God was faithful who caused us to triumph in Christ Jesus. We give glory and honor and praise to God. When you think about 40 years, that's simply the wilderness journey of a whole generation, that they had to trust God in the midst of everything, and it has been for us a trial 
and testing and, and simply putting our faith in God. When you look at those 40 uh, days, when you think about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, fasted, and also earlier to that Moses fasted. When you think about Ezekiel laying on his right side for 40 days, or even the 40 days of mocking uh, by the Goliath, uh, on the nation of Israel. They all speak to us of trial, and we had to really trust God. And in the midst of all of this, you find 40 days of completion of that you find what a marvelous way victory was won. Uh, the angels ministered to the Lord. The Lord had won the victory and thank God for the Holy Spirit. Was so grateful for the move and for the power of the Holy Spirit. We're so grateful to Abba Father who has been so gracious and faithful and merciful to us. So when you look at this, I want you to go back to Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 15 and 16. It says, and the wall was finished in 52 days. But when you go to verse 16, what were the people talking about? And it came to pass that when our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathens were that round about saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. And this is what Nehemiah wrote. This is what they said, and this is what we confess, he said, that this work was wrought by God. And this is important for us to realize. This is something we have to always keep uh, uh, our eyes upon God. It is God who has wrought this work, and to God we give glory. Now, looking at the aspect of Nehemiah's building, there were so many innumerable people to count. Their families, and not only by families, not only by nobility, not, not only by people in terms of trades, there were so many, and some of them were named. It's so many to be named, including the folks that helped Nehemiah. All of that being said, in the end, the entire work was wrought with God. And so we look at the work of Nehemiah as he gives glory to God and recognizes that there were many things that counted, many factors. So again, what a wonderful opportunity to have Pastor Wright's Envision started and get the ball rolling, and there were so many involved in this project, and God, in His grace, ultimately saw to the finish after 40 years for us. It's been, like I said, trial and testing, and simply a triumph to the glory and to the honor and to the praise of God our Father in Jesus' name. Go ahead, we can give the Lord a clap offering again. It is a lot to all of us because we know how difficult it is many a times to basically face situation and this is something that's now behind us and we're so grateful to God for his goodness. We're also grateful to the people in the city that were so kind and gracious to us and uh, there's so many people we need to be thankful to God for but again this is one day we will but not in this time when we are ministering basically to do with God. But I want to say there's something very important. When you turn to uh, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, there's a passage that is very important for us to realize. This is what Paul says, being confident of this one thing. So Paul's confident was of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will perform until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, to the, Philipp, uh, to, uh, the Philippians, I'm confident of this, that God who has begun a work in you, 
will also perform it until the day of Christ. Just when God wills, he will also perform. Let's break it down. Number one, it is God ultimately and over, above, and everything else who began, who initiated. And that not only in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, corporate, but also individually, he is the one who begins a good work. Every one of us here and those that are watching, God has begun a good work, number one. And that same God will also perfect and will also perform it. And in other words, he's going to accomplish it. And ultimately, the glory and the honor is of God, and God be praised. We need to realize one thing. Here is the start of something, which uh, in the case of Nehemiah began. And there is one place to start, and ultimately, there is a place where you end. I want us to know that many of us start many projects, but the question is not where you started, did you end and where did you end? For many of us, we attempt to do something and then we are caught up with many other things and by the end of the day, we've forgotten and by the end of the year, we still have uh, basically kept it or postponed it. Ultimately, years go by, but what I'm going to say is don't give up because if it is God who's began this good thing in you, wait upon the Lord don't worry how long. It could be days, it could be weeks, it could be years, it could be months, but just wait upon the Lord because God is able to perform it. God is able to perfect it. God is able to complete it. As long as you don't give up on God, as long as you don't just say that's it and walk away, you have to keep this vision open. You know, many people have started something great and then they haven't finished it. Very few people have finished what they have started. Great, great works, great, great vision, great, great dreams, great, great desires have begun. But there's always a trial. There's always a trust. And in the midst when people give up, there is no more a triumphant because we just didn't carry, we didn't take the vision on, we didn't believe God to complete it. Though God will use so many people, including each one of us, it is ultimately He who will perfect and perform what He started in us. We must be pliable, we must be open, we must be available to all that God has to us and never give up, no matter what. In the case of Naima, they've faced formidable opposition. In fact, there were people wanting, in his case, a lot of people tried to stop the work and they were really upset. Thank God we didn't have that. But he persisted, he persevered, and he kept believing God and realized that he has to get people together and believe God. In all of this was an adventure of faith, an adventure of coming together and believing together and realizing this dream, this aspiration, this vision could only be completed by God. And that's exactly what happened. So it's not where you started, it's so much about where you finish. And that's basically very important. Great people in the Bible with great, great call upon their life with a definite hand of God upon their lives, went off with a great start, but really ended up 
with a bad ending. And there are others who didn't have triumphant, great, uh, in words of, they were just a garden variety people, and you find it in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, when you look at the names of some of them, they were not extraordinary people, they were just ordinary people. But the thing about that they were in the hall of faith was simply they did not give up on God. They could not write about, oh my God, we saw visions of God and we were up on the mountain. No, these were just ordinary garden variety people, just like you and me. But the most important thing was they just believed no matter how many times they fell flat on their face and they still trusted God and God saw them through. And so in the annals of the history of these heroes of faith, you had these precious people who were not so well famous and yet they are mentioned. But when you look at a couple of people with great call upon their life, you feel sad that they had such a great call and what happened? You know, God called Solomon Jedidah, my darling. That's the way he expressed about Solomon. And that's the uh, term of endearment, even from his father, King David, as King David poured his heart, his vision to the mind of a man. And he had a great beginning. When you look at King Solomon, the way he, as a young child or a young lad, what was his great desire? His heart was in the right place. When you turn to 1 Kings chapter 3 and particularly read uh, verse 13 and 14, uh, you know what God said? I have also given you that which you have not asked, both riches and honor, that there would not be any among the kings like unto you all your days. What did he ask for? He said, wisdom to govern your people. And then the next verse, verse 14, God, God goes on to say, and if you will walk in my ways, if you will walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David did, then I will lengthen your days. Solomon was so smart, filled with wisdom, understanding, and uh, knowledge. The book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastics, the Songs of Solomon, among the many things that he wrote that are mentioned, that are in the Bible, but there were many others. The songs he wrote and many of the projects that he undertook, that was mighty, it was amazing. But in the midst of all of this, he allowed things to creep into his life. A man with a great call, a man with a great vision, a man with a, a hand of God upon his life and the prayer of his father David. When you come to First Kings chapter 11 and verse 1, Look at the tragic mistake. You find King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh and the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Edomites and Zidonians and the Hittites. When you come to verse 4, look at the tragedy. It came to pass when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. And from that great apex, he began to fall. Ultimately, he just fell. The very book called the book of Proverbs to his own son, keep your ways, keep your heart diligent, having said that he himself forgot all about it. But you see his son Rehoboam also followed the same step, having a wise father, having basically instructions written, marbled in stone, and lit literally pointed to his heart, and yet Rehoboam did foolish mistake that divided later on the kingdom. 
When you think about these men, think, for example, Samson. What a great call on this man. When you look at uh, the uh, Judges chapter 13 and read verse 24 and 25, you're going to come upon this man. Uh, and the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. That's the beginning. Even before his birth, an angel of the Lord visited his mother and father. But when you turn to verse 25, again, what a blessing. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move, at, uh, move upon him at times in the camp from Dan between Zorah and Estiol. I mean, his name was well known all over the nation and even to the Philistines. Uh, what an amazing man. And yet when you turn to uh, same chap in, in Judges chapter 16, verse 1, you see the spiral downward. He went uh, to Gaza and then saw an harlot and went into her and from then onwards it's a woman and it's just getting out of control. And by the end of the day, you find the man lost his vision. He was chained. And of course, in the end, he had a victory. But look at the mess of a man who was a strong man who could have defeated nations. But he was laughed at, mocked at, and the fact of the matter is, with a great call, the Spirit of God coming upon him, what a strange, what a sad situation. When you look at Gideon, he's one of the great men. He's mentioned actually in the book of uh, Hebrews. But think about this man, had a peculiar call, and God saw great victory, not with a majority, with just a few. Judges chapter 7 and verse 7 specifically says, with 300, he said, I will save you. I will bring deliverance to this nation, not with 22,000 or 32,000, with just 300. Look at the amazing quality of a man that he could lead these people and with the trumpet sound, they could go out and face the enemy, the Midianites. And what a tragedy when you look at this man's life. In chapter 8 and verse 27 of the book of Judges, earlier you find he asked for earrings from the people, and then what does he do with it? He makes an report and put it in the city, even opera, and all Israel went there, the whoring after it, and the things became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. Why in the world would you do that? But that is his downfall, and then his own children were people who were basically uh, uh, crafted. They were wanted money and they could not take, uh, they could not lead. And that's a sad situation. What about King Saul? When you look at First Kings, uh, and uh, basically, I believe it's, uh, I'm sorry, it's for Samuel chapter 16 somewhere, but we can find out. But it's, he, it's chapter 10 and verse 1, First uh, Samuel chapter 10 and verse 1. Samuel took a veil of oil and poured upon his head, and this is upon Saul, and said unto him, Is it not because the Lord had anointed you to be captain over his inheritance? Look at the powerful word upon King Saul. And there was something said about this man. He stood uh, shoulder above everyone else, a magnificent, first person, a powerful, charismatic personality. And yet when you look at his life and the way he begins to draw, and the ultimate, not simply the sorcery part of it, but a rebellion. And Samuel had to address that situation even earlier to the before he went into what would be spiritism. When you read, sadly, 1 Samuel chapter, 
I mean, uh, it could be chapter 15 and verse 23, you find this very passage where Samuel is telling, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of God, the Lord also rejected thee from being a king. Look at a wonderful start. Look at the great call. Look at none other than Samuel anointing him with the oil of anointing and what a tragic situation. You could see the end of a great life. Ultimately, he was defeated with his son. A very tragic situation. If you keep moving on, you'll call more, more about some great men uh, who were just awesome, wonderful. Think about Asa. He, as a young lad, sought after the Lord. And you can read about that in Second Samuel chapter, I think, 14, and read verse 11 and verse 13. You find this man, Asa, cried unto the Lord. I mean, there was a a million-strong army, the, the Ethiopians had come against him, and when he saw that he could not prevail, he cried out to the Lord, and this is what he said, for we rest on you and in your name, and we go against the multitude. O Lord, you are our God, let not man prevail over you. When you turn to verse 12, look at this crying, and so the Lord smote the Ethiopians, that is a million-strong, before Asa, before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. When you turn to chapter 16 and you find what happens to this man in verse 12, uh, you find this, and Asa in the 30 years of his reign was deceased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great, yet in his disease he sought not the Lord but the physicians. And these physicians were not just doctors, were people basically doing spiritism. And that's such a tragic situation for a man who had such a great, great victory. You can read the stories of Joash in Second Chronicles chapter 24 and verse 1 and then see also his failure. And again, Uzziah, who had a great call of God and then goes off to do what is not permitted to do, a priestly, even though he was a king. And you find him also was rejected. With all this being said, when you go into the New Testament, you do have other people. Uh, take, for example, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14. Here is a man that was a commentary of uh, Paul, a great evangelist, traveling with this great evangelist, seeing great wonders. And he writes to the Colossians and says, Look, the beloved physician and Demas greets you along with me. So here is a man had an address and a name, and had a place where you can say greatest recommendation, a recommendation by, by no other than Paul, for him to recommend Luke, of course, and then Demas. That is great, but when you turn to the last of these letters from Paul, as he sits there in the prison, when you look at his letters in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, look what he says about Demas. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed unto Thessalonica. And so this is a sad situation. A man with a great call, seen great miracles like Judas walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Demas had a great opportunity, but the bright lights of Thessalonica got him down, and that was the end of this great ministry. How many great evangelists have started out? How many great pastors have started out well? And then either the lure of gold or glory or girls just knocked them down. And somehow or the other, their heart's desire that was with God began with other than God. 
things that took hold of their life. Having begun well, they ended so bad. You know, when you look at some cases that ended up so badly, so bad that you could not imagine they could turn out any better. In fact, two of the greatest apostles, in fact, it was Barnabas who brought Saul when Saul was rejected by many people. And then they formed a team. Ultimately, it was, not, it was beginning with Paul and Bar, um, Barnabas and Paul. And then, of course, the hand of God was upon Paul, and it was Paul and Barnabas. But then, with all the missionary journey, they came to a place where there was a contradiction and a split between the two good men over one man. It was John Mark. What happened was John Mark just left them halfway. And it was so disconcerting for Paul, he just couldn't understand how. John Mark was born in a, in a, uh, in a home of a mother who loved the Lord and became the center of the early church. And he knew so much, but he was young. Paul may have been too strict. Paul may have been a little too high in his criticism. But nevertheless, the split took place. When you read Acts chapter 15, reading from verse 37 to 39, look at this, what it says. And Barnabas determined to take uh, with him John, whose surname was Mark. So Barnabas said, no, I'm not going to give up on uh, Mark. And in verse 38, it goes on to say, And Paul thought it not good to take with him, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So he said, I'm not going to take him. And verse 39, <coughs> And the contention was so sharp between Paul and Barnabas that they departed asunder, one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul took Silas and began his missionary journey. Years have gone by. And you find that this man, John Mark, who was a blot in that mission, first mission trip, actually turned right around. And much later, Paul began to hear about Mark. Paul began to hear how he has been going out with other apostles, in fact, Peter. And so much so, they were looking to him. He also wrote one of the earliest uh, gospels. In fact, the Gospel of Mark was written by John Mark. Much later, when Paul was in prison, when there was nobody else to comfort him, there's one thing he asked for, that one person he needed, and he needed him so badly. So when you read 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, look at what he says. He says, bring, take Mark and bring him with you, for he is profitable for the ministry. A man that would have otherwise ended bad, ended up so well. In fact, we all read the Gospel of Mark, don't we? And there are people that you would always say, what a bad way to end, actually ended up so well. One man actually astounds me in so much I have no compassion for that man. Uh, it's a fellow that really had a great beginning, a man uh, born into a wonderful kingly home, a godly man who brought reformation, and this is none other than King Ezekiah. But when you see his son Manasseh, he basically was the worst of the worst. When you read um, 
Second Chronicles chapter 33 and read 1, 2, and 3, you come across this man. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. I mean, at 12 years old, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. Keep going down to verse 2. But he did that which is evil in the sight of the Lord unto all the abominations of the Ethan whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Go to verse 3, goes on to say, He burned high places, he made grooves, then he sacrificed his own children to Mordech, something that nobody else had done. I understand Jezebel did that, but not her husband, uh, even though he was a bad king, Ahab. But this man was the worst of the worst scoundrel. I mean, there's no hope of salvation with this man. Growing up in a godly home, learning from a godly man, seeing the example of a godly man, and how could a man be so wicked? Manasseh was wicked to the core. And yet, when he faced difficulties, when you turn to verse 12 and 13 of the same chapter, when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before God of his fathers. And then verse 13 says, And he prayed unto him, and he was entreated of him. And God heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem, to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. But what he did was so horrible that he set into motion a consequences that affected the nation. And yet... God had mercy on this most wicked king ever in this nation. I mean, we're talking about not Israel under Ahab, under Judah, from the family of David, a wicked man who did such wicked things and yet in a horrible start and ended up very well. God is able to do great things. Never, never give up. So you find no matter how difficult the trials have been, no matter how difficult the testings have been, for Nehemiah, his heart was steadfast. The wonder of it all was people marveled. People were shocked. People were surprised. And what did they say? This cannot be anybody else. When you turn to Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 16, read that again. They perceived that it was the work that God had wrought. How could a man have done this? How could he have finished this with all the opposition? In 52 days, it doesn't matter whether it's 52 days or 52 years, but the most important thing was it was God who completed what he had started. Can you say amen? It could be in your life. It could be in your business. It could be in your family. It could be in a, in a ministry that you're embarking. It could be something of a project you have started and basically you have let it pass. But don't give up on it. Just remember this. God who started this good work is also able to finish and perfect that which concerns you. Never, ever give up. So no matter how long it takes or how short it takes, remember, if God began this, God will complete it if you will hold on to what God has given to you. Give the Lord a clap offering.
I want you to understand something. It's so important that we start no matter how difficult it is, but even though it takes strenuous and perseverance, never give up. Remember in 1968, it was in Mexico, in the Olympic, um, a man just uh, started running and he basically had never seen that altitude was different from his home country in Tanzania. He had never reckoned this because this is the first time he's coming out and this was a hill country, it was very difficult, the attitudes, uh, altitudes were different from back home in Tanzania and so that created such a lot of pain and ultimately he fell down, his calves basically was stiff and then later on he fell, uh, there was a clash with uh, somebody else, he tumbled down, injured himself and again, he went through so much muscle crumbs and everything. And literally, everybody else had run. There were 75 people. The last few people who completed, even though they took long time, was about 57 people. He was the last of the last. And so people wondered, why even finish this after everyone had come through? He was the last to go, limping. But he did not want any help. He wanted to finish it. When he was asked, why would you do this? He said, my country didn't send me 5,000 miles to end the race, uh, to, finish, to give up, but to end this race. I started from there to finish this, and that's what I've come here for. My friend, that is a great victory. Many people give up halfway, but we need to understand it doesn't matter how long, just trust and thank God and say, God, you are able to do all things and you can do it and perfect that which concerns me. You know, there's something that you find in this passage in Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27. Uh, we wish we would have finished there in chapter 6, right? But it does not finish. So our story still continues. Even though there has been something done, there's yet more to be done. Why did it take six chapters to do the dedication? Because Nehemiah felt that he has to trust God. There were things to be set in order. There were people to be set in order. Things that had to be done as a good governor. He had to realize there's a lot of things that has to be organized. But by the time you come to chapter 12, you see a lot of names all over again. You may say, what's going on? It's very powerful. It's a meaning for all of this. But the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites. So here was a time of praise and worship. They knew their place. They were there in Jerusalem. They were brought back in gladness with thanksgiving and singing and cymbals and psaltery and with harps. So there was a careful planning in this. He wanted the Levites to come and give praise. It was the day of dedication. It took training. It took time to come together. It took time to get back into what David had wanted, to be able to do a fitting job that was only for honoring God and before all people. So when you look at that, it's amazing. So when you look in the next verse, 27, 28, goes on to say, and the sons of the singers gathered themselves together, both out of the plain, and so they came in from all over, from very different villages. They wanted to be part of this great thanksgiving to God. 
When you turn to verse 30, they had to purify themselves because this is very important. It is God who's done it. It is not simply we're going to celebrate with simply food and wine and drinking. No, we have to give thanks to God. And the priest and the Levites purified themselves, purified the people and the gates and the wall. In other words, the whole place was blessed together with the people. Do you understand? It simply means God means business. We really know what God is doing. It's a time of blessing. It's a time of giving thanks. It's a time of cleansing. But when you look at the organization, you mean to say, is there a thing called organization? Yes, church is done by the Spirit of God. And yet when you turn to chapter 6, there's a sense of organization. Uh, the apostles, and then there are others in the ministry or leadership for the deacons in the, the, the way the Bible describes it, but go down to Nehemiah chapter 12 and verse 31, and I want you to understand what he has done. And I like this projection. Um, then I brought the princes of Judah upon the wall and appointed two companies of them that gave thanks. Think with me just for a second. Pastor Val, if you can visualize, where are you? One, have we have done that today, right? One coming from this angle and the other coming from this angle and praising the Lord. One saying, the Lord is good. The other saying, hallelujah, praise be to his name. One singing a song, the other saying a refrain. One quoting a chapter and the other quoting the next verse. It is an amazing thing. Let's read this. Then I brought the princes of Judah upon the wall and appointed two great companies of them that gave thanks, whereof one went to the right hand and the other to the other gate. And they were worshiping and praising. Turn to verse 50, 43 and you're going to find something more amazing. Also the day they offered a great. This is amazing. This is an obedience to say, God, we want to give thanks to you. Many a times it's what will I get out of this. It's what we can give to God out of this. Once again, God be worshipped. It never ends up this way. It begins with our life. It begins with our praises. It begins with cleansing ourselves. And then ultimately, they offered great sacrifice and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also and the children rejoiced. So the joy of Jerusalem, listen, the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. You hear what it means? This is because they wanted to, as much as they could, give thanks to God, not being afraid and being eloquent and, and, and triumphant about it. When you look at this, my friend, this is incredibly amazing. God be praised. You know, it's like what we... Think about Paul when he began his journey. But towards the end, there's something he says is very important in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, 7, and 8. But particularly, if you just point down to verse 6, he says, okay, I'm ready to be offered the time of my departure, but look at what verse 7 says. He says, in order to finish well, I must fight a good fight. In order to finish well, I must finish my course. In order to do well... I have to keep my faith. Can you say amen? This is so important for us. We should not give up. Even though chapter 6 tells us the wall is over, chapter 12 goes on. In other words, we have so much. There's a good fight. There's a course to be run. And there is a faith to be kept. But in the end, let me just say this.
God wants to bless us. And I like to give a benediction for all of us. Uh, Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, I've been talking about spirit, soul, and body. And this is how we need to give thanks to God. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. That's basically what they were doing in the Nehemiah's days. And uh, your whole spirit, your soul, body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus. Keep doing what God has called you to do. But I want to just close with what it says in verse 24. Listen carefully. Faithful is he. Can you say faithful is he? He is faithful. 52 days or 40 years. 52 years or 60 years. Faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. Who will do it? Can you say who will do it? He will do it. But let us be available for him and never give, give up. God can send an angel your way. You'd be surprised. You know, there was a great man uh, who wrote a book and a British man and it's amazing. He wrote this book, Surprised by Joy. We'll always be surprised by angel, surprised by a miracle, surprised by a way in which God makes way for him to do a miracle. Never close your eyes to that. Can you say amen? Let's stand up and give thanks to God. Father, it's going to be a great celebration as we come and celebrate this on a Sunday morning. But we take this moment, O oh God, in the initial moment, even today, to thank you for giving us the certificate of completion. Thank you for the precious people, O oh God, you've used, and people who have blessed us in the city, people in this church that have been a blessing, making prayers continually. For the good memory of Pastor Wright, for the many others who are no more with us, who have gone to be with you, that we can rejoice together and praise you. But unto you, O oh God, be the glory, be the honor, be the praise. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.